Please turn your Bibles to John chapter 6. We've been going through the Gospel of John and uh, I pray that you are enjoying it. Yeah, okay. And uh, we, we've, we've come to an icky section, um, <laughs> talking about the flesh and the blood. And uh, it's quite graphic and I, I really I need to preface this because I can't just read this stuff, you, you know. All of Jesus' disciples deserted him after this message. I don't want you all to walk off and never come back. Okay, so <laughs> let me just say that what, what we're looking at and what, what is being um, dealt with in these verses that we're going to be looking at today is the actual crucifixion of the Lord. All right, and that's why it's so graphic and the, the reason why he says the things he says. It, it almost is offensive. And to the Jews that were listening to it, it was offensive. <laughs> Uh, and as you as you you'll understand what I mean as we begin to read through them. Uh, but there are some things that I want to talk about as we lead up to it, because uh, we can't just jump into that. Uh, it's just too early in the morning. Yeah. Okay, <laughs> don't want you tossing your cookies. All right, so let's go to um, verse forty-one. I want to try to read through this. I had a few extra notes added in. You know me, uh, so I just want to share some of those new insights as we go through. But beginning in verse forty-one, remember again that. Uh, Jesus, this whole thing began with him feeding the 5,000 plus. They estimate around 20,000 people. All right, so Jesus fed a lot of people. And remember, he multiplied the loaves, the fishes, and everybody had more than enough to eat. And they ended up with more than they, they started. And it needs to be that way with our life. Whatever we give to the Lord, we should always end up with more than what we started. Amen. See, if we have this mentality of, oh God, if I do this for you, then I'm going to have less when I finish. That's the wrong mentality. That means you're doing it in your strength and you're doing it with the provision that you have. Understand that God, anything that you put in God's hands, He will multiply. The trick is, or the, the, the whole point is, put it in His hands. You need to let go. Amen. And allow Him to do His thing. Hallelujah. And so he feeds all of these people. And then remember, he, you know, they try to forcibly make him king. And he just dismisses the meeting and says, that's it, go home. <laughs> okay, goes up on a mountain to pray. Remember, he sends his disciples to the other side. They get into trouble. A storm hits. You all remember all this, okay? And so he comes walking on the water. They freak out. He says, it is I. So they, you know, then they're thrilled. They get him on board. And straight away, the ship is at the shore. Huge miracle there. Meanwhile, <laughs> all the crowds are looking for him. They finally catch up to him. And they've been keeping an eye on the boats and, you know, people traveling. And they said, we didn't see you either walking around or traveling by boat. How did you get here? He wasn't going to tell them he walked across the water. So he just, he just turns around and then says to them, the reason you're looking for me, he doesn't answer that question, by the way, about how he got there. He says, the reason that you're looking, see, God looks at the motivations of your heart. You know, we want to know the whys and the wheres, and he's like, what's, what's behind this? And he says, what's motivating you is I filled your stomachs yesterday, and you, know, you want me to do the same thing today, free lunch. That's the reason why you're after me. And so what happens now is, so they, they challenge him. And they say to him, well, you know, Moses fed, because he said, you think you're greater than Moses? Well, Moses fed all these millions of people out of nothing. 
You took what, the, what there was and multiplied it. Like, they can do anything like that. Okay, it's ridiculous how we think, isn't it? And so they're saying, well, you do something greater. And we're in that place now. Now, what, what's going to happen is there's actually going to be a transition somewhere in what he's saying to them that leads us, the last few verses tell us that he said all of these things in the synagogue. So somewhere between the lakeside where they meet him and he begins talking about this, to the end, somewhere we transitioned and John doesn't tell us where. So I can't do anything about that. I tried. I couldn't, <laughs> okay? It just, I, I don't know whether he shared this with them and then he also shared it in the synagogue as well. I don't know. All right, so somewhere in there. So you, if you see a discrepancy there, I'm just letting you know that's what happened. Okay, I'm going, to, uh, I'm going to start in verse 41 because it's self-explanatory. Then we'll work towards the end of this chapter. I want to try to finish it today. Yeah. Yes, there's a lot of verses. There's 71 verses, but we'll try to get there, okay? All right, John chapter 6, verse 41. The Jews, <laughs> you know, every time they use that term, it's, it's, it's associated with hostility. That's right. Okay, in John's gospel. Okay, not all the gospels. In John's gospel, the Jews were always making trouble. And then the Jews did this, and the Jews tried to arrest him. The Jews tried to kill him. It's always the Jews. Okay, so you need to understand that's where he's coming from. So he says the Jews then complained about him. Because he said, I am the bread which came down from heaven. And verse 42, and they said, is not this fellow Jesus, the son of Joseph, whose father and mother we know? How is it then that he says, I have come down from heaven? Verse 43, therefore Jesus answered and said to them, do not murmur amongst yourselves. Verse 44, no one can come to me unless the father who sent me draws him or her. And I will raise him or her up at the last day. Now, I want to just give you some scripture verses. Remember again that the Bible tells us in 1 Samuel chapter 16 and verse 7, that the Lord looks at the heart. Also, Jesus himself said in Luke chapter 16 and verse 15, God knows your hearts. Can we get an amen on that? You know, we acknowledge this mentally, but we don't really understand the ramifications of the thing. If God knows your heart, if God sees your heart, all right, and if he knows that, now, who is he going to send to Jesus? Because people use this verse and start talking about predestination. And it's not about predestination. It's about people with the right heart. He's not going to send horrible people across your path. Did you hear what I said? Okay. Now, if you're, if you're able to help them, and if, you know, if they've got a heart to change, and they may be a little rough on the outside, okay, you might get one of those. But understand, if they're crossing your path, it means that God sees their heart. And what they're on the outside isn't what they are on the inside. So do not be moved by what you see. We walk by faith, not by sight. Amen? But in this case, this is what this means when he says that the Father will draw people to him. And, you know, they're not going to see, there are going to be people that will cross his path because they want to make trouble. Can I say this to you? God didn't send them. If people are crossing your path just to make trouble, that's not God sending them to you. That's them sending themselves to you or the devil's behind the thing. That's right. All right? So you need to, that's why you need to be led by the Spirit. Yeah. Can I get an amen? All right? It's not all about everything. You know, 
this is where it tells me a little bit of you know, my denominational brothers and sisters. You know, they sort of see everything as God. And family, some things ain't. Something need to be rebuked. <laughs> some things need to be dealt with. Amen? Amen. Anyway, I don't have time for that. Let's just move on. I've got so much to talk about here. So, <laughs> moving on. All right, so he says again, No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him. And I, notice, and the, uh, unless the Father who sent me. So the Father who sent him will bring people that will be a blessing to him and to you. And he says, Now I will raise him up on, at the last day. Verse 45. You know, I need to say something else. The condition of your heart is entirely up to you. Did you hear what I said? That is your will. God won't transgress your will. If you decide you want to have a good heart, if you decide you want to, you know, to bless people and you know, be a good person, okay? <laughs> I'm trying to say, in the Lord. Not just a good person without God, but with God. Okay? Then the Lord will move and He will do things. Okay? He will open doors for you. Amen. I, I just need to say, that's your part. God will not transgress your will. There will never be a person that is trying to be good and God says, no, I have predestined for you to go to hell. So this ain't happening. That's the stupidity that is out there. I'm just telling you. Moving on. That's enough. I'll get off my little soapbox now. Verse 45. He says, It is written in the prophets, and they shall be taught by God. Therefore, everyone who has heard and learned from the Father comes to me. Now, this is really important. I didn't spend a lot of time on this, but I just thought, I need to go back on this, because there is something very important that relates to the previous verse. They all flow one into the other, and you need to understand something. that Remember I said to you that God sees the heart. That also tells us something that those people with the right heart will hear the voice of God. They will be taught by God. Are you all with me? This is the reason why Jesus say, says that you know, God wants to talk to you one-on-one. -on -one. You don't need to go to a priest or anything else. He wants to talk to you, not through someone, directly to you. Now, it might take a little while before you can understand His Word and be able to hear His voice. You need His Word to hear His voice. Can I say that? Okay. Otherwise, you, you get all kinds of things going on in your head and you won't know which one's right and which one's not. I know that for a fact. There's people out there that still do it today. Anyway, so, and they said, thus saith the Lord. And you go, Lord didn't say that at all. He wouldn't. That just goes contrary to his word. Okay, and, and to the nature of who God is. Okay, so I need you to see something here that's really important. Uh, let me just read this. This can only happen, all right, what he just said. Yeah. This can only happen if people's hearts are right before God and are therefore listening to him. Those who refuse to listen cannot be taught by God. That's going to be the case with the religious leaders that just want to crucify him, that want to get rid of him, that have an issue with him. They are not listening to God. In fact, he's going to say to them, if you were listening to God, then you would receive me. But because you're not receiving me, I know you're not hearing God. Isn't that something? Okay, remember again, right heart, that's your choice. And then God will lead you. God will speak to you. Hallelujah. Moving on. Verse 46. Not, not that anyone has seen the Father, except who is from, he who is from God has seen the Father. So he's saying, this doesn't require you to see God. Do you know to hear God, you don't need to literally see Him. 
you can hear his voice in your heart. Amen? You know, one of the things that we teach the kids is, you know, because one of their favorite questions is, how do we know God has spoken to us? That's a good question. I said, whenever you look at somebody in trouble and you feel like you need to help, that's God. He's talking. (laughs) Listen, (laughs) okay? Go do something. Be the good Samaritan to someone, okay? They need you. All right. So in other words, to be taught by God doesn't require you to, again, have to see God, just hear Him which does require you to be spiritually sensitive. Verse 47, he says, remember again, we talked about this, most assuredly I say to you, he who believes in me has everlasting life. It is one of the clearest statements of salvation. That is as simple as it gets. He who believes in me. He who what? Believes in me. You don't have to say 600 confessions or anything else. If you believe in the Lord, you'll be saved. Amen? Okay. You know, let me just pause for a second. This is the reason why, I know, right? This is the reason why we should be very careful how we judge people. Because you don't know what they did in the last moments of their life. Amen? You don't know where they gave their heart. They may not say all the right words, but God isn't going to penalize somebody for not knowing all the right words to say. Send them to hell when their heart says, God, I'm sorry. Sorry for the mess that my life has been. Sorry I didn't turn to you before. That's it. If you repent, you're in. Amen? Okay. Verse 48. Jesus says here, now I'm going to read through to verse 50. He says, I am the bread of life. Your, your fathers ate the manna in the wilderness and are dead. This is the bread which comes down from heaven that one may eat of it. And not die. So he's saying there is a kind of bread. The bread that you are looking for, that's not going to do you any good. It's good. You're going to die anyway. He says, your fathers are proof of it. They ate, they died. He said, the food I'm offering, the, the food that comes from heaven will give you everlasting life. Can I just say this to you today? If you have received Jesus Christ as Lord, do you know that you are now living forever? You might lose your body along the way, but that doesn't mean you're lost. Hello. And you will get your body back. Resurrection style. Woo. I have to dance. All right. (laughs) It will be a good body, okay? It won't have aches and pains and things and put on weight and everything. Anyway, so moving on. (laughs) Verse 51. (laughs) Sorry, guys. Verse 51. He says, I am. Remember again, he said, I am the living bread. Now, he didn't just say I'm the bread anymore. He says, I am the living bread. I need you to understand that... Jesus Christ, we serve a living God. Amen? And when we are receiving Him, when we are you know, meditating upon Him, we are meditating upon a living Word. I love that. And He says, I am the living bread which comes down from heaven. If anyone eats this bread, he will live forever. And the bread that I shall give is my flesh, which I, sh- uh, which I shall give for the life of the world. See, there it is. That's the key verse. Okay, notice he says, I'm giving my flesh for the world. How is he doing that? On the cross. Yes. Amen? And so he's saying, somebody needs to die. And it needs to be a sinless individual that needs to do this. Because a sinless man sinned. So a sinless man has to buy it all back. And that man also has to be God. Do you know why? 
because only he can be a mediator between man and God. The man, God, Jesus Christ. He is man to us and he's God to God. Woo, hallelujah. See, that's why no individual can save you. You need God on both sides of this equation. I've said this before, I'll say it again. It took God to save us. It took God to get us back to God. Not a man. Hallelujah. But he needed to be a man to relate to us. Amen. He's a good defense attorney up there. That's what, that's what uh, the epistle of John talks about in the second chapter. Amen? Okay, moving on. So, uh, <laughs> oh, the Jews. So, verse 52. The Jews, therefore, quarreled among themselves, like when are they never, saying, how can this man give us his flesh to eat? See, he's now doing this on purpose. See, they missed the whole part where he says, which I shall give for the life of the world. Remember that? He says he's going to give his flesh. That's what his flesh was for. My flesh I will give, okay, for the life of the world. And they're quarreling among, amongst themselves saying, how can this man give us his flesh to eat? Wow, totally missed it. These are meant to be the religious hierarchy. You know, the muckety-mucks. You know, the doctors. Oh, hello, I'm Dr. Uh, whatever, you know. <laughs> and, and I'm Professor whatever from the synagogue. And I don't understand a thing Jesus is saying. Wow. See, there is a difference. Let me, let me tell you this. There's a difference between intellectual knowledge and spiritual insight and sensitivity. There are so many people out there that have a head full of knowledge. And they've got all these letters after their name. Can't pray over their food if their life depended on it. Oh, if they do, it'll be a very, uh, you know, one of those really stately prayers. And uh, yes, in Jesus' name, Amen. Uh, if that food was poisoned before, it's still poison. That ain't doing it. You don't need... That. God doesn't need all that flowery stuff. He needs a heart that's working. If you say to this mountain, be thou removed, be thou cast and believe in your heart, eh? shall not doubt, but believe in your heart, the things that you say will come to pass. Then you'll have it. Amen. And they, sadly, they, they work your intellect, they don't work your heart. Okay, moving on. <laughs> Verse 53. Then Jesus said to them, Most assuredly, I said to you, unless you eat the, f- Here we go. The, the, the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, because he heard them. He said, you didn't hear me, so let's go down this road for a little bit, shall we? Let's just offend you as much as we can. So he's, <laughs> I love Jesus, he's just like that, isn't he? Let's rub it in. So he says, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you, you have no life in you. <laughs> so, now I remember I went to, um, last time I went to John chapter 1, the beginning of this uh, gospel. In the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God, the Word was God, and the Word became flesh. Amen? The Word became flesh. This is who we're talking about. We are consuming the Word of God. Yeah. Amen? Okay, so... And we're, going to, we're also going to get to the place where he's going to say, it is the spirit who gives life, the flesh profits nothing. So we know he's not talking about that, but you know, he's cranking their engine right now. And verse 54, he says, whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise him up at the last day. For my flesh is food indeed, and my blood is drink indeed. I, you can just see they're about to pass out. They're about to vomit in their little throw-up bags. He's just doing this now. He's going there. Verse 56, he doesn't quit. 
And he says, he who eats my flesh. This is in the synagogue. If I, would you be nice if I said, no, today you're going to all eat my flesh. <laughs> well, there's enough of you to go around. But anyway, you know, it's just, <laughs> but I want you to notice he's saying something that is repulsive to these people. Okay? And he says, he who eats my flesh and drinks my blood abides in me and I in him. Now, can I just right there, we should see something. He is, for, what did he say about him dying? It was for the whole world. How can this be for the whole world if it's just for those that are there at the time? And then once he's dead, that's it, the flesh is gone. Everybody else, what happened? Well, we kind of missed the supper. <laughs> you know? Do you know what I'm trying to say? So obviously there's something else going on here. And if they saw through it, they would have figured it out. But they're looking for reasons to crucify him. They're looking for, looking for reasons to murder him. So he's just going to fill that cup up. And so he says, uh, where was Did I do 56? 57. He says, as the living father sent me, I really like that. Remember he called himself the living bread? Notice everything about this is living, okay? He says, as the living father sent me, and I live because of the father, so he who feeds on me, what is that? The living word will live because of me. Remember that feeding on Jesus is feeding on his word. Every word that he speaks is life. And if you want to, if you want to I, I, I gave you this analogy last time. The way you eat natural food, I said to you, you know, a steak, you can't just swallow the thing. You have to meditate upon it. You have to chew it. You can't just swallow the whole thing. That's called choking. All right? And the same way you chew on a steak, you chew on the word. And you need to hear the word of God and you need to allow it to spend time in your heart and in your mind and allow it to make, to, to, you know, transform you as it needs to transform you and bring the wisdom that you need or whatever it is that you need. You need to give it time. Amen? And, you know, the more disciplined you are in it, the quicker you'll get it, by the way. You'll find that as you do this, the more and more you do it, the quicker you'll be able to pick up on something and sort of take it in. But for these people, <laughs> it ain't happening. All right? And so, uh, where are we? So, uh, let me just read verse 57, go to verse 58. He says again, as, as the living Father sent me, and I live because of the Father, so he who feeds on me, the living word, will live because of me. Verse 58. This is the bread which came down from heaven, not as your fathers ate the manna and are dead. He who eats this bread will live forever. How can it be something natural? He has just said anything natural will only last so long and then you'll die. Are they not getting this? How many times have, has he made mention of the fact that this is a forever thing? Amen? Obviously, it's not natural. It's spiritual. Verse 59. These things he said in the synagogue as he taught in Capernaum. Now, I'm going to slow down here a little bit because we, we've kind of caught up. But I pray that you're getting the, the gist of this now. You really need to hear all of this to get here, okay? Okay. <laughs> now... <laughs> In mentioning the synagogue, Jesus, um, John is letting us know that Jesus isn't speaking to kind of people that don't know the scriptures. 
Okay, this is really important. He is speaking to people who should understand the scriptures and who should be able to see through the, what he's saying and understand that he is talking about spiritual things. Are you all here? So, you know, if he was talking to people that didn't know any better, whenever he spoke to people that weren't in the synagogue, what did he do? He said, look at the birds in the sky. They go, oh, yeah, the birds. See how they do this and that and everything else? Look at the grass. And they go, oh, yeah, I can see the grass. Because that's all they can understand. So he gives them birds and grass. But when he gets it here, he gives them flesh and blood. (laughs) You know what I'm trying to say? It's like you should know better. And you know what? They are dumber than the people outside. It's really sad. Okay. <laughs> William Hendrickson writes this. He said, the language of Leviticus 17.11 is very clear on this point. He says, for the life of the flesh is in the blood. And I have, so this is uh, Leviticus uh, 17.11. He says, and, uh, and I have given it to you upon the altar to make atonement for your souls. For it is the blood that makes atonement uh, by reason of the life. It is clear, therefore, that when Jesus speaks about eating his flesh and drinking his blood, he cannot have reference to any physical eating or drinking. Okay, so they, would, they should have understood that. In the same way, you know, the sacrifices did something for something you couldn't see, which was your soul. So in the same way, this is going to do something for something you can't see, which is your soul and your spirit. Okay? Accordingly, John MacArthur says that Jesus' point was an analogy that has spiritual rather than literal significance. Just as eating and drinking are necessary for physical life, so also is belief in Christ's sacrificial death on the cross necessary for eternal life. The eating of his flesh and drinking of his blood metaphorically symbolizes the need for accepting Jesus' work on the cross. Therefore, as Arkand Hughes states, we receive spiritual bread, excuse me, we receive spiritual bread the same way we receive physical bread by consuming it, taking into ourselves. Amen? Amen. Okay, verse 60. Hallelujah. Let's get through this. Therefore, put those signs down. Therefore, (laughs) many of his disciples, when they heard this, said, this is a hard saying. Who can understand it? You know, this isn't what they said. Do you know what they actually said? This is offensive. We can't sit here without tossing our cookies. You know, it was just very distasteful, is what they're saying. He said, who can stand and listen to such offensive doctrine? Is what the literal text says, all right? Verse 61, then Jesus knew in himself that his disciples complained about this. All right, and he said to them, does this offend you? Jesus, you know, he doesn't beat around the bush, does he? He sees a problem, he goes, you got a problem? (laughs) And they go, "Mm, okay, yeah, no, whatever. All right, William Hendrickson writes, just what did they object to in Christ's discourse? No doubt the answer is they were displeased with the sermon in its entirety. Okay, I like that. The Lord had pointed out that not the manner about which, that's a manner, okay, from heaven, which they had heard so much, but he himself was the true bread and had come down from heaven. That in, in his quality as the true bread, he was offering his flesh and that in order to have everlasting life or be saved, one had to eat his flesh and drink his blood. This was too much for these people to take. Can I get amen on that? All right, so following this, so Jesus says, verse 62, he says, What then if you, this is brilliant, he says, What then if you should see the Son of Man ascend where he was before? 
This wasn't a fictional statement. Let me take you to Acts chapter 1. Acts chapter 1, and I want to look at verses 9 through 11 very quickly. And I mean very quickly. Turn quickly. All right. (laughs) Acts chapter 1, beginning in verse 9. I love this. He says, now when he had spoken these things. So I'm in Acts chapter 1, verse 9. Now when he had spoken these things, while they watched, he was taken up. And a cloud received him out of their sight. I mean physically taken up. Verse 10, and while they looked up steadfastly, or looked steadfastly toward heaven, as he went up, are you seeing this? Mm. All right, get this. Behold, two men stood by, by them in white apparel, verse 11, who also said, men of Galilee, why do you stand gazing up into heaven? This same Jesus who was taken up from you into heaven, where did he go? Into heaven, he went up. Physically, he just went up and disappeared. All right? He says, we'll also come in like manner as you saw him go into heaven. That tells us how Jesus' second coming is going to be. When that time he comes back, the way they saw him go up is the way they're going to physically see him come back. But we're not talking about that today. But you just need to know that. All right. So, (laughs) but not only does Jesus promise this, And he does keep his promises. But he also goes and explains to them in the next verse, verse 63. It is the spirit who gives life. The flesh profits nothing. The words that I speak to you are spirit. Did you hear that? The words that I speak to you are spirit. I'm talking about my flesh and my blood. I'm talking about spiritual things. He says they are spirit uh, to our spirit and they are life. Dear Carson writes this. He says, if the words of Jesus in this discourse, are are rightly grasped, then instead of rejecting Jesus, people will see him as the bread from heaven, the one who gives his flesh for the life of the world, the one who alone provides eternal life, and they will receive him and believe in him, taste eternal life even now, and enjoy the promise that he will raise them up on the last day. Hallelujah. As good news. Amen? Amen. Amen. To this, Leon Morris adds, Jesus' words are creative utterances. They not only tell of life, they bring life. Isn't that beautiful? They don't only speak of life, but they actually bring life with them. When you hear the word of God, it brings life to you. In fact, even the words that Christ speaks today, to all those who listen to him and receive them by faith, are full of his own spirit, full of his own life. They are not just dead letters. Amen. All right. Verse 60. I would love to comment on this. I need to keep going. 64. Therefore, excuse me, no. But there are some of you who do not believe. For Jesus knew from the beginning who they were uh, who did not believe and who would betray him. This is now referring not only to Judas, but also the religious leaders, all right? Verse 65, and he said, therefore, I have said to you that, uh, (laughs) I need to slow down a little bit. All right, so he said, therefore, I have said to you that no one can come to me unless it has been granted to him by my father. Now, remember again, this is not predestination, okay? It's about free will and God's ability to see into the hearts of men and women. And accordingly, all those who choose to believe, the Father will spiritually grant them to come to Christ. This is how it works. One plants, one waters, but God gives the increase. Amen? Okay. All right. And that's the reason why those that reject Jesus will have to answer for that in the last day. 
And there won't be anything to do with God. It will be everything to do with them. It has to be. Otherwise it won't work. Verse 66. Oh, it's a sad statement. Have you noticed 666? Never mind. Okay. Don't go there. All right. John 6 and verse 66. From that time... Oh, the conspiracy. Oh, yeah, I can see that. Okay. You sit back down. I'm just pulling a leg. From that time... <laughs> I like to do that. From that time, many of his disciples went back and walked with him no more. Isn't that interesting? Indicating the abandonment was decisive and final. R. Kent Hughes says, only 24 hours earlier, these same people wanted to make Jesus king by force because of the multiplying of the, lo- multiplying of the loaves and the fishes. But as soon as he began to talk about spiritual realities, they said, who is this? Is this not the son of Joseph? Who is this fellow? <laughs> Get away from me. William Hendrickson further explains by saying that they went back. Listen, this is, this is really sad, but listen. He says they went back to the things which they had left behind. Not only their ordinary daily pursuit, but also their former way of thinking and living, not intending ever to return to Jesus. Isn't that sad? They just gave everything up. They just threw everything out that they learned. And went back to living the same way they were living before. We we, we need to be really careful. Just give me a moment here. We just need to be careful, family, what we dismiss out of our life. Because it may not be just that we're dismissing something out of our life. It may be that we're going backwards in our life. And going back to things that we left behind. Amen? So returning to our text, this is again where... Things take a turn for the worst, and when all the crowds and all his disciples, except the twelve, totally abandon him. And it goes on to say in verses 68 and six, uh, 67 and 68, Then Jesus said to the twelve, Do you also want to go away? <laughs> in the literal Greek, this is what it says. He says, You don't want to leave too, do you? That's how Jesus talks. <laughs> but Simon, verse eight, uh, 68, but Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? Now he's obviously been thinking about it. Yeah. I think they're all sitting there going, no, this is hard. Remember he said even his disciples. So they're probably looking at each other and going, oh man, this is tough. This is a little hard to swallow. Get it? You know, the flesh. In it. Never mind, never mind. Anyway, you know, and they, I'm sure they had a small discussion. Jesus probably was what He's probably preaching and watching these guys having a little conversation. Because, you know, they talk. And uh, you know, they're probably going, what do we do? I don't know. Where else can we go? I've been following this guy for this long. We know, he's walked on water. Remember the boat? We were suddenly on shore. You know, I, this is God. It may sound a little crazy, but this is God. There's nowhere else to go. So, from that, Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? Or, in the literal text, who else is there? You have the words of eternal life. And then, remember again, he's reflecting back on verse 63, when Jesus said, the words that I speak to are spirit and they are life. Okay? And so, verse 69, he says, also, we have come to believe. See, now he's the spokesman. Like he knows anybody else's heart. Especially Judas. All right, we have come to believe and know, this is very important by the way, that you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. Now it is important to note what Peter says here. Do you know why? This isn't a great time. 
this is a time when, you know, <laughs> what have I got here? I've said this is in the midst of religious hostility, rejection, and mass departure of these disciples. I mean, they all got up and walked off. I mean, before that, they were sitting there and going, check the crowd. And we're in the front seats. You know, yes, this is our Messiah. This is, yeah, this is the guy we follow. Yeah, all the crowds, see the crowds. And suddenly they're all gone. What do you do next? I don't know him. I don't know where they What is this? Oh, this is the... I was going to the other synagogue down the road. I must have got the address wrong. It, you know, and we suddenly disappear. No, this is really important that when everybody walks off, when it's no longer popular, what are you saying? Amen? That's why this is so important. What he says means so much. When he says, we have come to believe and know. See, he says, we don't, we don't just believe, we know. It's one thing to believe something and kind of go, uh-huh, but it's another thing to know. Do you believe your name or do you know your name? Do you know the difference? You know your name. There is no question about what your name is. Now, I could ask your phone number. It probably muffled, so I didn't ask that one. Okay. <laughs> With mobile phones. Who remembers their number? I don't know. But, you know, at least your name, man. That's something you know. And I need you to understand that they're saying we don't just believe. We know. We know. We have come to know that you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. See? They're saying, regardless of what you say, this is what we know. So we're not going anywhere else. And Jesus answered them. Did I not choose you? I'll finish here. I'm sorry, it's a downer to finish here, but we have to. Uh, he said, did I, did I not choose you, the twelve, and one of you is a devil? That literally means a slanderer or a false accuser. You need to understand what that word actually means. Okay? He spoke of Judas Iscariot, the son of Simon, for it was he who would betray him, being one of the twelve. That concludes chapter 6. <laughs> Next time, we'll go on to chapter 7. Hallelujah. Okay. Now, things are getting worse at the moment. We are seeing the reason why Jesus was crucified. Remember again, they're asking the question, if he was such a good man, how come he was crucified? So each of the gospel writers in their different ways are answering that question. I love John's answer the best. Amen? He talks about in the beginning was the word. He doesn't say that person begat that person, another one, and all the begats, and then he came. He said in the beginning was the word, the word was with God, the word was God, the word became flesh and dwelt among us. That's your begats. <laughs> okay? This is God in the flesh. Now let's go forward from there, shall we? Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Not this is fellow is Joseph's son. No, we are knowing this person. No, no, no. You have no idea who he is. He came down from heaven and he said, only the one that has been to heaven knows what's up there. All you are guessing. I know. Which means he still had knowledge of everything prior to his birth. For unto us, what does it say? No, no, get it right. For unto us, child is born. For unto us, a son is given. He wasn't born. Because he was already existing. He had to be given. Amen. Let's have every head bowed, every eye closed. Father, we thank you today for your word. We thank you, Father, for all that we are learning. And we thank you for Jesus Christ, who is the bread of life. 
And we thank you, Lord, that we get to feast on that bread. Every word that he speaks out of his mouth is life to us. Everything that this Bible contains is about him in some way or another. It's about his coming in the Old Testament, and it's all about the blessings and the price he paid and the responsibility now that we have, that we are, because we are God's children, that we have to the world. And we just thank you, Father, as we receive these words, as we receive this into our heart and into our spirit. Thank you, Father, for divine revelation, divine insight. We thank you for all that you are sharing with us. And I thank you by faith, I say, that each and every individual here is receiving something according to where they are right now with you. And that they are being blessed and transformed by this word. In Jesus' name. Everybody said, Amen. Amen. Amen.